Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. It's a great blessing that we may be here again to join together in worship of our triune God. Extend a warm welcome to all who are present here and to all those who have joined us via the live stream this afternoon. May the preaching of the gospel message direct our hearts and minds in faith and trust to our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Consistory of the following announcement. Congregation is reminded that there will be a Christmas Day worship service tomorrow, commencing at 9.30am. This afternoon, the worship service will be led by Reverend H. Alkemar, Minister of the Canadian Reformed Church at Smithers. Before we commence the worship service, let us sing together Psalm 27, verse 2. Sisters, out of respect for the Lord, let us begin this worship service standing. The Church of all times and places, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. Amen. Receive the greeting from our Lord, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's now honor the Lord by singing his praises and we'll sing from Psalm 92 verses 1 and 2. Oh 
afternoon for our confession of faith. We'll turn to page 494 in the Book of Praise, uh, the reading of the Nicene Creed. Here we confess as follows. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all ages, God of God, light of light, true God of true God, begotten, not made, of one substance with the Father through whom all things were made, who for us men and our salvation came down from heaven and became incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he arose according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who spoke through the prophets. And we believe one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And we look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let's now sing from Psalm 25, a psalm which also speaks of the healing power of God. Psalm 25, verses 1 and 8.
Let us now unite together in prayer, and we'll pray that the Lord would bless our worship together this afternoon. Let's pray. Our dear God and Heavenly Father, we thank you, O Lord, that we may follow the pattern that you have set with your people so long ago to have a day of worship in which they could gather in the morning, the evening, to honor your great and holy name. And so for us also on this day, we've had a great opportunity to worship you this morning. How delightful it was to be among your people, to lift up our voices, to praise your name, to hear good news of great joy proclaimed to us. And here we are again. We thank you for the peace and freedom we enjoy in this country. We thank you for the opportunity to gather once again for worship as members of this flock, as visitors in our midst this afternoon, those at home watching on live stream. We pray for the work of your Holy Spirit both here and wherever we are. It is a rich privilege to know you. It is a miracle to be loved by you. And it is a blessing to be able to gather for worship so that we may once again hear good news of great joy. That is the message you have for your people. That is the message that goes out all over the place on this day, that there is salvation to be found in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Lord, we pray that you would be with us this afternoon by your Spirit. For each and every one of us, there may be different challenges. We may come to church with concerns about work or concerns about family. We may come with struggles of our heart, physical, mental. We may be struggling spiritually with doubts and worries. So much can burden us. But you are the one that we can call upon. We can cast all these burdens upon you. You know what we're going through and you know what we need. And in that respect, we're all the same. We need to hear that there is peace and salvation in our great and wondrous Savior. Lord, we pray that you accept our worship this afternoon and may it be a delight to us to honor you and may it be your will that we grow in the faith, that we grow in our knowledge. Your word is very powerful, but it's also very relevant to us in our lives. And so we pray that this afternoon, our hearts would be opened. We would be ready to hear that news and we can take it with us in our hearts and in our lives. Please bless us this afternoon. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to now invite you to take your Bibles and we'll turn to our scripture in this afternoon, which is also our text. So we'll read 2 Kings 5, verses 1 through 19a. So 2 Kings 5, beginning at verse 1. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and high in favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. 
Now, the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, and wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company and he came and stood before him and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives, before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. The name and said, if not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. For from now on, your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any God, but the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the house of Rimon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon. When I bow myself in the house of Rimon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. And he said to him, Go in peace. So far, reading. Before we turn to the sermon this afternoon, let's once again praise God, and we'll do that by singing from Psalm 147, verse 1.
The text for the sermon this afternoon is the passage that we have read together already from 2 Kings 5. After the proclamation of the gospel, we'll respond by singing from hymn 81, verses 1, 2, 3, and 7. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, today and for a number of weeks already, we have been in the period that is commonly called Advent, which is a time of year very special to us as Christians. We look forward to the celebration of the remembrance of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he was willing to leave the glories of heaven, that he was willing to leave the presence of his Father and come here to this place with all its brokenness and all its suffering, with all its rebellion and wrongdoing to save people like us. And so we rejoice in this time of Advent, and it's probably very typical for us to have a number of sermons that focus on prophecies, that speak of the coming Messiah, and ultimately all these prophecies, all these stories in the Old Testament, they trace their roots to the first promise that was made by God after the fall into sin. Amazing promise, especially when you consider what had just happened. Adam and Eve in open rebellion turn against the Lord despite all the riches of perfection, and they willingly cast themselves into a state of despair, hiding from God, wanting nothing to do with Him. But the Lord just very graciously, very lovingly sought them out, went after them, didn't let them wallow in their sin for years or decades, but right away went after his people in love. Came very gently, calling, where are you? And when he came to Adam and Eve, he confronted them. He dealt with their sin. And yet he promised them the Messiah would come. That first promise of Genesis 3 verse 15. So beautiful, so momentous so important. There would be conflict, there would be enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. Why? Because the Lord had called for himself a people that he would save. So all the, the Christmas messages, all the Advent messages stem from that time. Well, this afternoon we have a passage that flows from that first promise but instead of seeing conflict between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, or struggle, or enmity, we actually see something that's quite different, which is a story about the Lord reaching out in love to someone from the seed of the serpent. The good news was not just for his covenant people, good news was for other people as well. So it's very beautiful to see that in Holy Scripture. And in that sense, this passage, which we deal with Naaman, is also an Advent passage. The coming of the Lord Jesus is good news for all. Remember the, the message of the angel in Luke 2. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people, not just Israel. Recall the words of Simeon. He's holding that child 
the Lord Jesus and blessing God. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. Well, that light of the gospel shines in our passage this afternoon as well. And I've chosen the following theme, the great physician heals Naaman. And we'll focus, first of all, on the need for this healing. So I think it's helpful to have our Bibles open and we'll look at this passage. We'll look at this character. His name is Naaman. The name means something like favored one or special one. And in a way, the name suits the person. Naaman was somebody special. He was in a state of great privilege. The text says he was the commander of the army of the king of Syria. This was a military culture. Many cultures were back then, but if you are the commander of the army, you're somebody who's very important, high position, greatly esteemed. Sometimes people in high positions are not highly esteemed. Maybe we think of politicians, but here, We read, he's a great man and an honorable man in the eyes of his master. And there's a good reason why he was liked, and that's because he won. Everybody loves a winner. He's also described as a mighty man of valor. So this man Naaman, and maybe, maybe you've known people that are kind of like this, it seems like they have everything. They are maybe very clever, maybe they are very funny, people like to be around them, maybe they're good looking, maybe they're well off. It seems like they're blessed with everything. And you look at them and you kind of wish you had a lot of what they had. Naaman was like this, except for one thing. It says he's a leper. Now the word that is used for leper in the original language, it can mean a number of skin conditions. Uh, Some people suggest that maybe Naaman had more of a minor ailment that he was faced with. Well, I don't think that's true because we see in this passage how desperate this man really was. And so I think we can assume that he had a very hard situation as a leper. We know also from the New Testament, lepers really struggled. They were often in colonies. Um, Their own body was really falling apart. Their own body was to them even a source of disgust. If you went somewhere, you had to call out, unclean, unclean, and people would shy away. They didn't want to go near you. This man wanted to be cured. And... If you suffer physically, it seems like in every congregation there's somebody who has something or multiple people who have something, maybe you recognize how debilitating it can be, a disease, for instance. And when you're suffering or somebody you love is really suffering, then there's questions that come up. So sometimes we may be tempted to think, Well, why would the Lord let this happen to me or my husband or wife or even my child? And sometimes in the darker moments, you tend to think, well, 
Is there some lesson that I have to learn? Is that why I'm inflicted with this? Or is there something I've done to deserve this? So along with physical suffering, there can often be mental, spiritual anguish. So the need for Naaman in this text seems pretty obvious. He's a leper. He needs to be cured. What else really needs to be said? Well, let's consider his prospects here. Humanly speaking, your leper back then, there is no chance of being cured. None. Nothing can change what you suffer from. But if you look carefully at this passage, you look at the text, there is a point that I want to emphasize, and that is, in this account, the Lord is firmly in control of this whole situation. Look at verse 1, it says there, the Lord had given victory to Syria. So the man was a winner, everybody liked him, but it wasn't because he was so ingenious. God engineered those victories. So the Holy Spirit is emphasizing, he is in the hand of the Lord. God's moving him forward in this story. And you can also see this in how the thought or the possibility of this cure even comes to Naaman. So look further. We read that there's a little girl who is captured from Israel and she is working in the service of Naaman's wife. How does that happen? God puts her there. It shows you how the Lord in this life can organize things in the most amazing ways. He puts people in certain situations. He makes certain things happen. And then he just lines up the events one after the other. Everything is in place, even though it's extremely unlikely. Well, that's what's happening here. This little girl is right where she needs to be. But let's just pause for a moment and recognize that when the Lord works in his providence and he's organizing things, it doesn't mean that it's always easy for people. Look at this little girl. Here she is, this slave girl. Can you imagine your daughter? You, you and your wife are killed. Your daughter is taken captive. She's a slave, somebody else. It's, it's a sad account. We don't even know her name. So the point is being made that, in a sense, this, this little girl is the lowest of the low. She's a foreigner. She's a child. She's a nobody. Who is this little girl in comparison to Naaman? And yet she had something that Naaman didn't have. And we're not talking about her health. This little girl had faith in God. And she shares it. I think this little girl was very brave in this story. All the bad things that had happened to her, that the Lord let happen to her. And she still keeps her faith in God, and she's willing to share that faith. It just shows you how powerful a simple childlike faith really is. In our lives as well, when we see our children and they love God and they're living for Him, 
That's not a small thing. That's really beautiful. And the Lord can use children in the most amazing ways. This whole story hangs on the little girl sharing what she knows about the Lord Almighty. And do you see what this little girl gives to Naaman? She gives something that in a broken and sinful world, people are desperate to have. Something that people are searching for all over the world. And what is it? She is giving hope. She's giving good news. She says to Naaman through her mistress, I know what you're going through, but I know a way that you can get better. I know a way that things can actually change in your life for the better. There's help for you. And that's exactly what people want to hear. That's what they need to hear. There's help for you in this world. And we see that Naaman's, Naaman's condition, far from being some sort of minor ailment, of course it was really di difficult because he seizes on this news and he acts on it immediately. I mean, if you look at this situation, you can imagine what happens. She knows her mistress's husband what he's going through. And she tells her, and then she tells Naaman, and the wife says, well, guess what my little slave girl told me today? And it would have been the easiest thing in the world for Naaman to sit there, Naaman, the commander of the army, this great man, to say, well, what does she know? This little girl from Israel. She doesn't know anything. It's ridiculous. But he seizes on this opportunity because he wants to be cured. And you can see how valuable even the possibility of a cure is by what he takes with him. Look at what the text says. Ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, ten changes of clothing. That's about 340 kilos of silver, 68 kilos of gold. This is the annual wages of 600 workers. All of this. Today, put a dollar figure on it, I don't know, maybe something like $50 million. But you can't really put a dollar figure on being healed, can you? I mean, what would you be willing to pay to be cured, even if you could afford it? Being healed is precious. Now, the critical matter in the text I'm going to emphasize this, is the matter of believing. That's the key to the whole text. Do you have faith? Do you understand what it means to be truly healed? That's the thing that matters most. Naaman, with all his money and all that he had, he thought he could almost buy a cure. And, and the text highlights that there is a lack of faith in many different places as well. If you look very carefully, you'll notice... He writes, or he speaks to his master, who writes this letter to the king of Israel. And there's probably a truce of sorts between Israel and Syria, so there's no hostilities. And the king of Israel gets the letter from the king of Syria, and he thinks they just want to go to war again. And that's why he's demanding from me what is literally impossible. I can't cure his commander of leprosy. It's impossible. I can't do that. Well, that's understandable. 
But the problem is the king of Israel doesn't really have any kind of faith or any kind of relationship with God. He doesn't understand the power of the word of God. He doesn't communicate with Elisha. The word was not living for him. So the king has this kind of spiritual barrenness in his life. And if you think about this king, it's, it's a warning actually. He's part of God's covenant people. He's among God's people, but the word is not really living in his heart. And we can go even further. God is not central to his life. And that's very important. You can be among God's people, but the Lord can be far away from you if you haven't given your heart to him. Far from God is a very dangerous place to be. But Elisha hears word of what has happened. He sends a message to the king. He directs Naaman to come to him. And when you read what Elisha commands, what becomes very clear is that his approach with Naaman is designed very carefully to upset Naaman, to rattle Naaman, to get him to think. I can't imagine that this prophet Elisha lived in this huge mansion, a very beautiful place. I don't think that's likely. Probably lived somewhere out in the boonies. And Naaman and his whole entourage have to travel to where he is. Probably showed up at Elisha's house and think, oh, this is it? Shaking their heads. Why are we here? But then the worst thing for Naaman is how he's treated. That, that's what really sticks for him. Look at verse 10. It says there, Elisha sent a messenger to him. He doesn't even speak to Naaman. He doesn't even look at Naaman. He's not interested in him. He gives him no special treatment of any kind. He doesn't coddle him. There's no concession to his ego and his standing and who he is. Nothing at all. Everybody else would have been fawning over Naaman. Go out to meet him. Do whatever he wants. But not Elisha. Not impressed by his human standing. What is that to him? What is the greatest issue that Naaman faces in this text? Is it his leprosy? Is that the big problem? Well, Elisha's words show us that the biggest problem that Naaman faced was not his leprosy. It was his lack of faith and his lack of humility. Naaman says, verse 11, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me. And in the original language, he, he's really emphasizing himself. He will surely come out to me. He may not have come out to other people, but they're not me. I'm naming the great. How dare this foreign prophet send his lackey to come to me and give me orders. Doesn't he know who I am? And, and through Elisha, the Lord is saying to Naaman, who do you think you are? Naaman's pride suggests an attitude of deserving respect, deserving attention, deserving a special kind of treatment. 
That's what pride does to people. That's what pride can do to me or you. Ever think that in some ways we're deserving of God's love and care? Of his special attention? We, we kind of deserve to be saved. We're kind of in some ways more worthy than other people. What a dangerous thought to have. Naaman is being shown crucial spiritual truths. They're not easy for him to comprehend. The man was astounded that his money and his great wealth was worth nothing in Israel. Wouldn't buy him anything. The cure was free. Free. You know, that's what grace is. Undeserved favor. And he couldn't grasp that. Grace is hard to understand. Here, you are saved. I give this to you freely. That's not an easy thing to accept. Our nature rebels against it. And he had all kinds of expectations of how he would be cured. And when it comes to the Lord and how he treats us, we may have different expectations of how the Lord will treat us, what he will do to us, how we'd maybe like a recovery to go, what our lives may look like, maybe what a medicine will do or what, a, what an operation will do. Naaman had ideas as well. I thought he would come out to me. I thought he would speak and, and stand here and call on the name of his God and wave his hand over the place. And then there would be a cure. He objects to the lack of a prayer. He objects to the lack of an immediate cure. I wanted it now. He objects to the place of the cure. He says, there's, there's greater rivers than here. This is nothing, this river. Couldn't I have gone there? Couldn't I wash in those rivers and be clean? What he's getting at is an attitude that says, can't I do things as I expect them to be done? You know, we may think that in the matter of how the Lord treats us with illness. We may also extend that to matters of even lifestyle or even salvation. I want to be saved in this way. I want to be saved and still hold on to this sin. Or, or still have this lifestyle. Can't I do things my way? What we see in Naaman is an illustration of that old nature that we are all born with. An, an old nature that resists bowing before the Lord and submitting to Him. A nature that insists that we can live the way we like. The feeling in our heart that we know what we need and, and that what we want we should actually get. Verse 11 says, if you look there for a moment, Naaman became furious and he went away. Furious. So what's his greatest problem? Leprosy in the end is not his greatest problem. It's his heart that's the problem. That's the, that's the difficulty, a lack of humility, a lack of faith. He is here shown as a Gentile who truly does not know the ways of the Lord. He had a massive problem. So you see what his true need really was. Can you see how desperate his need was? He would say, 
I love my position as the commander of the army. I love the wealth that I have accumulated. But those things that he loved, his position and his wealth, they, they actually blinded him to what he needed to know. He thought the only thing he lacked was his leprosy being cured. Elisha was saying to him in love, my friend, your problem is far worse than that. And, and when he comes into contact with what he really needs and the truth hits him, what does he do? Look at the end of verse 12. He turns and he goes away in a rage. This is the second time that this is mentioned. He turns and he goes away in a rage. Well, by nature, that's what we do when we come against the truth. Even the truth of God's word. Our sinful heart always wants to pull away. To go away. Maybe you've seen that in your life before. Maybe you've seen that in certain loved ones. And it breaks your heart. You try to come with the truth. You're reaching out to them. And they just pull away. They don't want to embrace the truth. And I'll say this very clearly, brothers and sisters, this afternoon. If it were not for the grace of God in our lives, we would all pull away from the Lord. I don't want anything to do with them. There would be nobody left here for worship. That any of us are here is only by God's love and his grace. Naaman, who we read about here, he isn't the exception. He's the rule. So there's a great need for healing. But let's see what happens here. Naaman turns and he goes away in a rage. So he's thinking, how dare this miserable prophet treat me this way? How dare he suggest that this is what I need to do? I refuse to do it. And that could so easily have been the end of this story. Nothing else. The story of Naaman's life. He goes to Israel, he has hopes of a cure, and the Lord intervenes graciously. So I told you already this afternoon, we see the Lord's hand in granting a victory to Naaman, raising him up to this position. We see the hand of the Lord in um, moving this servant girl into place. So she tells the story and then he's prompted to go to Israel. So the Lord is moving him along this path. But God is not done. And, and, and Naaman has rebelled and he goes away. But the Lord is not done with Naaman. So I'd like you to look for a moment at verse 13. It says there, and his servants came near and they spoke to him. Well, don't underestimate how powerful this work was. This work of the Lord. With a man like Naaman, in a position like this, used to being obeyed, nobody questioning his orders. When a person like that is in a rage, you don't go near them. You don't question them. It's extremely dangerous. It can easily cost you your life. Just let them go. That's what the servants would naturally have said. And you know, sometimes when people are really angry, then... You're almost afraid, maybe, to go after them. You're almost afraid to reach out. 
even in love, it can take great courage to speak up. It can take great courage to go to them. Sometimes there's that call. Someone has strayed from the truth. They're set on their ways. We are called sometimes to reach out in love. Naaman could easily have put those servants to death for speaking. It was a huge act of courage to reach out. And the Lord had taken those servants, touched their hearts, and they go back up to him. Would we be willing to reach out to others? Naaman goes away, and then it says in verse 13, and his servants come near. Well, actually what we see in that text through the servants is the Lord is going out in love to go after Naaman and pursue him. It's pretty amazing. I think we can learn from this approach as well. They're not going after him lecturing. They're not going after him in anger. They're not highlighting his pride or his stubbornness. They're coming with quite a gentle word, and they're just pointing him to the word of the Lord. They say to him, it's a very simple command. He's just telling you to go and get washed. Well, what have you got to lose? You need to be cured. You can't stay like this. But the point that the Lord is making through Elisha, transmitted through those servants, is Naaman. You're a great man in the eyes of many people, but before the Lord, you just have to humble yourself. Let go of all your pride. Listen, obey. If you are willing to do that, there's, a, there's freedom, there's healing, there's new life for you. There is a cure for what ails you. It is free, but you must walk in the ways of the Lord. So reaching out is done in truth, but it must also be done in love. And so it is with us, speaking the truth in love. The greatest miracle of the text this afternoon is not that Naaman's flesh is restored. It's a miracle. Of course it's a miracle. He dips seven times in the Jordan River and his flesh is restored like the flesh of a young child. He's clean. But the greatest miracle of this text is that the man's heart has been changed. And that takes real power because our hearts can be very, very stubborn. We can be filled with rebellion and pride. Sometimes you can see it in others, but know that it's naturally in our hearts as well. So look at verse 14. He had gone away. The Lord pursues him. Then he goes down to the river. That's a miracle. The hand of God at work. He's going in one direction, but the Lord turns him in a totally different direction. He had refused to listen to the word, but he relented and his heart softened. That's what God has done for us. That's what we wish for those who are strayed. He goes to the river and he does what the word of the Lord commands. And he washes seven times, not six times, not eight times, not one or three or 20. And every time he washed, you know what he's really doing? Every time he washes, he's bowing before the Lord and the command of God. Every time he's humbling himself, 
Maybe he thought, I don't know if it'll work. I hope it works. Can it work? But his heart's been changed and he's being led on the path of faith. His behavior, his attitude, his heart. That's what needed to be healed. And it was. And the blessing for Naaman is seeing the miracle to his skin. We don't minimize that. But he returns to the man of God. And, and it's amazing the person he has become. How the Lord totally changed him. He, he had gone away and he was angry and he was rebellious. And he returns and there's joy and there's thanksgiving. He returns with a confession in the one true God. He says, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. I know. And it's not just I know up here. It's not head knowledge. It is that, but it's a lot more. He had experienced the care and the love of God. He had been changed on the outside. His skin is restored, but far more importantly, he had been changed in the core of his being. That's what God is after, to change our hearts. That's where there is so much resistance and rebellion. But the power of the word and spirit, the power of God's love and grace are so much stronger. That's the good news that is found in our Lord and Savior. Also, as we look forward to the celebration of Christmas, Isaiah had confessed, all we like sheep have gone astray. That's what we're like by nature. And yet he came down in love to seek us out. He was sent from the Father to come here to change hearts and to change lives. And when the Lord Jesus was here, he healed a lot of people of their illnesses and their diseases. He does care about our bodies, but he works on what matters the most our souls and today as well he may heal us of what ails us physically or mentally but he has cured us from the curse of sin and that's what gives us in this life true hope and true life for Naaman life would never be the same and at the end of our text and our reading you just see gratitude and it's just gushing out of Naaman he comes with payment for a cure. Now he says, please take something. I'm grateful to give it. He seeks the ground so that he can worship the Lord and the Lord alone. He seeks pardon from the Lord saying, I have unique circumstances where I'm going and I have to do these things, but please understand that and pardon me because my heart is now with God. And Elisha says to him, go in peace. It's fine. I know you love the Lord now. He comes with the hope of a miracle. He leaves with so much more. Life for him was radically different. He comes in turmoil. He leaves in peace. That is the power of God. That's the hope we have in Jesus Christ our Lord. How blessed we are to receive that. What good news truly exists also to share with those who have strayed, there is a way back, a way of salvation. And there are for us tidings of comfort and joy, ours to cherish 
and ours to share. Amen. Let's now praise God by singing from Hymn 81, verses 1, 2, 3, and 7. of us is broken and appears to be beyond repair and yet we can look to our great Savior the one who will truly restore us to perfection and glory in the meantime O Lord we pray that we may find our hope and strength in him we pray that we may guide and support one another reaching out in love we pray that also for the congregation here that we may be united in our Savior, united in love, helping and supporting one another. We also pray that you would be with us as a flock, now without a minister. We pray that you would be with the office bearers, that you would guide and keep them in addressing the needs of the congregation as deacons, but also providing oversight as elders. May these men be blessed with wisdom and patience and love, faithfulness, 
And may we find also comfort in the leadership of this flock. We pray for a calling committee as well. This can be challenging work and trusted uh, with the task by the congregation to seek out a man who can come and serve the flock here. We pray that in due time you would provide. In the meantime, we pray for patience. We ask also, O Lord, that you would help us to be a light in this community, reaching out with good news of great joy that is truly for all peoples. So many in this world suffer. So many people are without true hope. May we be a light to them. We pray that you would bless and keep us also further on this day, also in the week to come. We pray all this in Jesus' name alone. Amen. have the opportunity to honor the Lord with our thank offerings, and after they've been received, let's stand and we'll sing our final song this afternoon, hymn 10, verses 1 and 2.
Receive the blessing of the Lord and go home in peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.